Are you a podcaster? Maybe you've got that big idea and you're looking for a network to join. The multi-award-winning Ozcast Network can get your content to eyes and ears all over the world. Join now for the first month free, and you could be featuring this sound at the beginning of your podcast. Ozcast. Simply head to ozcastnetwork.com for details. Did you know you can advertise on podcasts? Don't act like you're not impressed. Find out more at podvertise.com.au. That's podvertise with an s.com.au. Hi, guys. Tommy Bug here, uh, ready to go for the Unlaced podcast with JBD. Uh, make sure you tune in and, uh, yeah, looking forward to everyone listening. Tommy Bug, he's, uh, he's finally here. Hey, absolute pleasure. It's been, yeah. uh, been long awaited, so um, I'm glad to be on the show. I know. I've been asking you since before I think uh, we started the podcast and it all stemmed back from a walk we did (laughs) two months ago, probably the first lockdown around Albert Park Lake. And for those that don't know Albert Park Lake in Melbourne, it's a 4.2K kind of distance. And the conversation was that good. We walked two laps. (laughs) I know. It's funny. I don't think we'd caught up with each other for a long time before that. Um, I'd been traveling and you'd been doing your own stuff too. So yeah, we, we obviously went around it and then we were just like, uh, you know, this, <laughs> we're actually laughing about it being a podcast. Um, that's yeah. how much topics we covered and, and um, you know, memories we, we ran over. So it was yeah. Uh, yeah, good. I'm, I'm glad that sparked it, mate. I'm, I've been a keen, uh, keen listener since. I so. uh, appreciate it. No, it was. It's funny. We said at the end of it, I'm like, mate, imagine if this was recorded on a podcast. I'm sure people would listen in. It was freaking fascinating. <laughs> um, and even more fascinating is probably your journey um, over the past few years and uh, like me and most of your circle, we always knew you as Tommy Bug, the footballer, the AFL footballer who uh, was bound for stardom. And then uh, I guess you took a bit of a U-turn and, and had a change of heart um, at a young age, which we'll obviously go go through in a lot, uh, you know, a lot more detail. But to give some context now of what you're doing, um, you're now a CEO of a social media agency that's absolutely booming, um, you know, on a local and global scale, which is insane. So. Um, how, how's the change of pace been for you? Yeah, it's exciting for me. I mean, I'm, I'm a very fast paced person, uh, as you probably know, and a lot of people that know me close, uh, I like to be stimulated. I like things to challenge me. Um, so from a footy point of view, you know, definitely for my early part of my life, it was always challenging because that challenge was to reach AFL. So the goal didn't get reached, uh, until I was 18. So, you know, ever since I started playing when I was six to 18, it's like that 12 year build up of of really putting everything into, um, you know, into, into trying to get uh, drafted. So, yeah, there's, I mean, there was so much that oh, we will obviously delve into exactly, you know, piece by piece. But to, to go from kind of AFL footy and then have a bit of a U-turn and go into what I'm doing now, um, I'm, I get a lot more fulfillment out of what I do now versus, you know, what I was doing when I was playing. Yeah. The thing that I love about it, and, and I do want to go back to, I guess, the start of the whole journey, but the thing I love about it is what you have done is very – I guess, not best practice of what people are told to do from a professional sporting standpoint. Like you're at the peak of your powers and you walked away from it, which is just gone. Yeah. <laughs> I know, it sounds funny, doesn't it? At, at age of 25, retiring. Um, but I guess, you know, what I saw was I made some very calculated decisions. I, I think from the outside, it probably looked like, what the fuck is this guy doing? Like <laughs> he's literally gone off the rails. A lot of people would look like, look at that, but all my decisions have been calm and calculated throughout the journey, um, even though they may have not seemed like it. 
And I think important for me, you know, I've had some really strong mentors and, um, you know, some people around me which have guided me through those decisions. Um, and looking back now, I literally would not change one bit. You know, I, I know there's some, some uh, lessons I learned along the way and, you know, some mishaps, but I really do take away all the positives from, um, you know, my learnings in the past. Yeah, that's awesome, dude. Um, I'd, so I do want to go back to where we met. And for those that don't know how Tommy and I met, we actually both went to Corfield Grammar. Uh, actually missed each other though at school because I was I went to Corporate Grammar year seven to nine and then left to go to the AIS and then you no, moved down no. from yeah you moved down from Packenham into the boarding school uh, of Corporate Grammar which must have been a bit of a you know a big decision was that orientated around footy at the time when you did that yeah so the way how that happened is um, you know you play your state level, level football so yeah obviously you know I come from Packenham up I was at a, a private school out there um, you know which was very comfortable. Um, but in terms of, you know, challenging myself in terms of being outside my comfort zone, not, not enough, you know, not, not enough. Um, so, I mean, I played state footy in 15s and then from there, basically what happens is a lot of the private schools and the APS, AGS schools come in and they basically scout, uh, players to come to their school. So I entered, uh, you know, with that, I had Barry Rowlings who, you know, is still involved with Caulfield Grammar now, um, you know, a great person and a great mentor of mine throughout my younger journey. Um, and yeah, and he basically, you know, approached my dad and, and my mom and, you know, he was super personable. That's, I think that's what the key was, especially with my parents um, and how I am, I'm, I'm relationships based. So it's all about, you know, people investing in you and, and, and kind of, you know, that vibe you get. Um, and Barry went to extreme lengths in, in that regard. So, I mean, I had a couple of decisions. I think it came down to Caulfield, St. Kev's and Kerry Grammar at the time, which I was interested in all of them. Um, but Caulfield just felt right. It just felt... Um, I like the co-ed um, set up too. Like I was never interested in, um, you know, an all boys school. It just it wasn't for me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, not in that sense, but I just, I just like, you know, I've grown up with sisters. I've grown up with females in my life, and I love. Oh, I agree. Kind of, it's it's not natural. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. So that that was a big thing, and then obviously, you know, they had a great footy program, um, and yeah, and I, I guess at the end of the day, it seemed like too good of an opportunity not to, you know, not to pass up. But as you mentioned, I came to uh, the school. As you left, but we basically hang out, hung out with the same friendship group, so it was inevitable that we we're going to uh, we're going to cross paths. Um, <laughs> I, I day schooled for the first year. The, the craziest thing about my Caulfield journey is I day schooled for the first year. I worked it out. I spent seven hundred hours on a fucking train <laughs> from back <laughs> oh, No way. Ripon Lee Station, Ripon Lee to um, oh sorry to South Yarra, South Yarra, Ripon Lee. Got off, walked up. So I did that every day, um, and it was just a nightmare. Like I remember my first month, like. Um, I was just like, you know, going home, wouldn't talk to anyone. I literally wouldn't talk to anyone. Wouldn't talk to my parents because I blame them for sending me there. <laughs> Exhausted. Um, and then, but it was a good experience. You know, when I walked in, um, I remember my first day, you, you know, Lockie Kellogg very well. Uh, hopefully he's listening. Uh, shout out to Lock. But shout out, Lockie. I walked in this day and he's just, you know, an amazing person and he kind of just took me under his wing and a very likable guy too. So he introduced me to everyone and, you know, and then I just fell in love with the school and, and uh, yeah, and then and then obviously you know I, I ended up boarding uh, year eleven, year twelve just because it was easier on me. But I mean, just in regards to a school, like I, some of the, some of my fondest memories are at Corfu Grammar. No, definitely, it's definitely the case that you turned into the stallion of the school. Safe to say, <laughs> I mean, I feel like I left Caulfield as like Seb Gotch would challenge me on this, but you know the sporting sort of future. Um, you know, had had sort of like the, the pressure of, oh, he's going to make it and this, that. And then I came back from the AIS. I used to come back all the time, see parents and stuff. But I came back and 
I came to watch the first footy, Caulfield were playing Melbourne Grammar, and I hadn't really ever watched first footy since I'd left the school, but it was around now all my mates in our year level were playing for the first team, and first footy at APS is like, it's a fucking big deal. Um, like, it's life or death, and like, the best players that are, are playing AFL now have probably played APS at some point, but I came back and I didn't know who Tommy Bug was, but he was wearing he was wearing this helmet, like a protective helmet, and he had the biggest afro you will ever see to the point the helmet wasn't actually protecting his head. It was just covering his hair. Um, probably going to pretty quick. Yeah, oh, please do, because, I mean, no, no, the afro you had um, back in high school was almost like a, a bit of a cult figure. It was funny because I did have an afro, but when I got to Caulfield, I cut it. Like, they said to me, you can't have hair like that. Yeah. So in my old school... If your head didn't drop below your eyebrows and didn't touch your collar, you were sweet. So this is what I was. This was at my old school. <laughs> oh, that's golden. So, so you see that, um, and I got away with it because it doesn't go over my eyebrows and doesn't touch my collar. As soon as I got to Caulfield, it's you know they make Attention. it subjective. Yeah, yeah, so it's um yeah. it has to be neat and tidy. That's their that's their uh, uh, their uh, what's it called? That, that's their criteria yeah. around yeah. it. Um, so, yeah, so I rocked up first day to do a little induction with Barry Rollings and he basically looked at me straight away and just said, are you going to need a haircut? And I was just like, fuck, I just yeah. had a haircut. And it was already short enough, as short as I wanted to go. Um, so it was funny. Everyone used to see me with big hair, but I, I really had that big hair back in uh, back in year seven, eight. It always uh, pissed me off that with Caulfield because that was the only way I used to get detentions was because of my hair. But going, going <laughs> back to this game, it was a pretty big game at the time. And for those that know footy, Playing for Melbourne Grammar that day was Fletcher Roberts, who's now retired also, but was a Western Bulldogs premiership player, and Stephen May, who's arguably probably the best defender in the AFL at the moment. And Tommy Bug, I didn't know who he was, but everyone kind of talked him up. He's, you know, he's the new footy superstar. He's boarding. He's going to get drafted, or he's about to go to the Greater Western Sydney Giants because they're allowed people in like the pre-draft. And you kicked four goals by half time like genuinely made it look so easy. And I'm like, this guy's an absolute jet. And then on the other side of those goals, that was just like you and Steve and May were just going at each other. And I don't know what it was that happened, but the umpire like kind of sent you both off. It's like you got sin binned, which I didn't even know could happen. Yeah. It was, it was interesting because, you know, I, if, obviously if you watched any of my footy, you know that I, you know, I like to get up, like to get in people's faces and niggle a bit. That was just my style of play. Um, but with Stephen May, he didn't take shit. So he basically, <laughs> he basically dropped me straight away. And then I don't, know if, uh, I don't even know. The umpires at APS level, are, you know, Question. can't go into it. They're not yeah. great. <laughs> <laughs> and basically he's ragdolled me and, and I've been sent off too. But, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's funny when you look back now and see some of the players you play against that, you know, have gone on to play AFL. It's, it's pretty special. Yeah, no, it is. And and before I go into, I guess, how you got drafted into the Giants, we always had a pretty unique connection, I felt, because we never went to school together, but we bonded pretty well pretty quickly. And I always used to come home for periods, and you were always there and around, and we became that close that we actually joined our 18th birthdays together. <laughs> <laughs> and I think part of it was because we didn't have enough mates individually <laughs> to have a big party. Well, we thought, well... <laughs> well, we had the same mates. <laughs> yeah, well, that's... Yeah, let's run with that. Um, but, yeah, so we... Yeah, I was just going to say, that was funny because we probably only knew each other for six months or so. Like, it wasn't like, you know, we had a very, very um, strong relationship. We got along very, very well. Um, and, you know, our fa- obviously we threw it with our families and our families. You know what that was? That was like a tactical business decision we both made to maximise the event. We thought, let's just join them together. We were always thinking uh, back then. <laughs> I remember that like yesterday. I really do. No, it was a good time. But as as so, as your sort of year 12 year ended, you got picked up by 
the GWS Giants, which I think at that time was a brand new footy franchise. So uh, they hadn't played a year of AFL then, had they? Uh, nah. So at all, I think it was in year eleven when I found out. To be honest, I think um, yeah, latter stages of, of year eleven. Uh, I just got a call. I, I probably kept it pretty harsh. I didn't really tell anyone because um, I think it was fairly confidential. Um, but yeah, it was just for me. It was amazing. Like I always wanted to play AFL and. You know, everyone says, you know, if you could pick, where would you go? You wouldn't want to go to the Giants. But I was just super grateful and just, you know, so excited to start my journey. And, you know, it, it really meant that I didn't, for year 12, which, because I love footy so much at the time at Caulfield, it meant that I didn't have to play state. And I didn't have to play. Um, awesome. Uh, yeah, and I didn't have to play Gippsland Power either. Even though I loved playing those, you know, again, like some, some great memories with those clubs. With school footy, the worst thing was just, you'd play a whole season, but half your good players would come out each throughout the year and they'd play state league, they'd play Australia. And then you, it wouldn't be, you know, it wouldn't be a true reflection of who actually wins the uh, premiership that year. So right. in year 12, I was just, I was just so happy that I got to play every single game for Caulfield. Yeah, no, it's, it's true. It's funny. It was just to tap into that a little bit of the Seb Gotch story of turning down, going to play for Vic Metro or go to a trials because he loved playing for Caulfield so much. He kicked eight against Wesley at Wesley and then saw the Vic Scouts there and told him where to go, which was probably why he never got drafted himself. But we'll let him, we'll let him come on the podcast and explain that. But oh, yeah. when, when so you, got, you went to the Giants, which obviously you found out quite early, probably a year and a half before you actually got drafted to the club. But can you explain to us what it was like to be a Giant in the early days, moving to a new city, a, a part of Sydney where that's just not known for, for footy? What mm. was it like? What was it like through that period? It was it was stra- it was definitely strange because you have this vision of or you have this expectation of what's a footy club, um, what's an AFL club. So, uh, sorry, sorry. When I went up there, it, it, it wasn't um, you know it, nothing was really different. I mean, it, was, it felt a bit like a, a footy camp, um, and we obviously had a lot of young guys. So the guys that got drafted to the club, I think thirty of them were like eighteen. So and it was all guys I'd either played with or played against. So it generally felt like a school uh, a footy camp. Um, so it was interesting. We lived together. Like, I mean, you know, we used to go to train, come home. The, the club would pretty much, you know, the way it was set up, you, uh, all your meals were pretty much paid for for the whole week. So we'd all eat at a restaurant together. Then we'd go home. Me and Toby Green would play hours and hours of FIFA. Like, you know, we had we had punch-ons, me and Toby, over who was better at FIFA. I've still got some videos, actually, which, uh, which I might share with you offline. But um, yeah, just some funny stuff. It was just basically young guys just, you know, going up there and just trying to, you know, we had Mark Williams, Choco Williams coaching us at the time and Kevin Sheedy. Um, and Mark was super, like Choco was super important for me because I was also like a niggler, like I said before, but he really said to me, like, don't take shit from anyone. And I, I took that, um, you know, on board fairly, uh, fairly heavily. And I, and I just applied that in everything I did. So training, games, I was just ultra competitive and I, I, owe, a lot that, I owe a lot of that to him. Um, but you know, in regards to what it was like just in a different city, like I loved it. I mean, the first year or so was a bit weird just because you're trying to like play as many games as possible. But once we really settled in Sydney, it's an amazing city. It's an amazing city um, and it's got so much to offer. Um, and I think the guys up there now, you, you'll see that they actually love living in Sydney rather than down here in Melbourne. Yeah, a lot of those core players, like the, the top players that have been pivotal in that whole club's history haven't left. Um, yeah. But, but do you – I mean – the first few years were pretty tough on the field. I mean, they were definitely, I would say, character building rather than you got smashed because I don't think anyone expected a bunch of 18-year-old, you know, although they were the elite in that year of drafting or the few yeah. first few years of drafts, I don't think anyone thought you were going to sort of make the top eight and be a finals chance. Yeah, I think that the main thing was the, the club was so, it, it was so well prepared. They really, you know, everything from Dave Matthews to Sheedy to Leon, even Leon Cameron, Tony Shepard, 
um, these type of guys, they really instilled the story into us. So it wasn't, you don't, you don't have to win the premiership you want. It was more, guys, let's just build a really good culture. Let's build really good training habits. Let's get some great people in. You know, we had James McDonald, Luke Power, um, Callum Ward, Tom Scully, Phil Davis. Uh, who else? James McDonald. I think, I don't know if I've mentioned him or not. Chad Corns, Dean Rogan, these type of guys. Right. They were super important because we come in little arrogant 18 year olds and they just like put us back in our spot. Um, which is good. It created a bit of, um, you know, it created some competitiveness, which is ultimately what we needed to have. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, as we saw s- slow progression, I think that was the key. We saw each year we saw slow progression, which was, um, you know, if, if you're building towards something special, as long as you can see growth. Yeah. And I think that's the main thing. Yeah, because you did. You started getting some wins. I remember I think I was in Adelaide for one game when I was playing there. Me and my old man, we came and watched you play it at the old Amy Stadium, which is pretty awesome. I think you guys got up that day and it was like just, you could feel like it was starting to shift and you guys started to see some light at the end of the tunnel. But you, you had a really good period at the Giants. I mean, you played 60-plus games. You were a core part of the early years when it was like an elite young group. Do you have any, I guess, early experiences back then of like, you know, just some of the best moments of your, your AFL journey, like on the field, off the field? Yeah, it's interesting. I probably got – my my AFL journey had different, uh, I guess, sequences. I guess I got the Giants um, chapter and then I've got Melbourne chapter and then I've got Carlton chapter. Um, for my Giants chapter, I guess, you know, for the first few years, I was just stoked to play. Like just to get a game, I just knew that if I was at any other club, I was 69 kilos when I, ran, when I walked into the club. I wouldn't have played anywhere no matter how well I played just because I was too small. And at these other clubs, you know, it's all about building a body and building a base and then, you know, having longevity in the sport. So I was just G'd to play and, and just so happy, you know. You get match payments as well, so you're getting paid more than um, more than normal. So you're just, you're just really happy to, happy to play. But in terms of great memories, um, it's really hard. To, I think the first win was amazing. Sorry, the first game, to, to, be, to be picked in the first game. I mean, I broke my knuckle, funny enough, in a practice game two weeks before. I was just wrestling with some guy and I punched him in the stomach. <laughs> uh, no, sorry, in the, in the, punched him in the chest, yeah. And I broke my knuckle. And it was like, I don't know if you broke your knuckle before, but it was the most painful thing ever. And I got off the, I got off the, um, the field and Choco ripped me. He's just like, you're a dickhead. You know, what are you, like, what are you doing? You got to, you know, the round one in a couple of weeks. Lucky enough, you know, the, the fracture in my, or, or the break in my knuckle was like literally half a millimeter away from me missing like eight weeks. Um, so just very, very lucky. And then like there, there, and back in there, wow. every single game, weeks, and it was like one of the most painful things I've ever had. But I just had to suck it up. Hand would blow up like a balloon after the game. But anyway, back into, you know, my, my special memories. Definitely round one, just because it was such a, um, you know, such a big moment for the club. And that would be etched into history forever. Um, and... Uh, when I, you know, I've just moved into, I'm the chairman of the past players now, the Giants, and running all their functions and events around that. Um, funny enough, I ran into Dave uh, last year during the final series, and he was telling me I'm actually player 001 at the club because my last name, because of Bud. Uh, <laughs> so that is awesome. That's a pretty cool, um, that's, that's pretty cool. And then I guess our first win, like for me, first game, first win. Um, yeah, they were super special. I was, you know, not fortunate enough to play in any finals up there. So I would say those two were probably uh, the most special for me. Mate, that's pretty cool. Zero zero one. What do they give you? A baggy orange or something? Like, is there some they, sort of? <laughs> they didn't yet, but I'm going to follow up because I'm on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, what led you? What led you to come back to Melbourne? What What was the real driver for you? Was it around playing, or was it just coming back home to to the city? Yeah, it's funny when I when I if, if I'm going from a mindset back then, I felt like 
every time we lost, I got dropped and I didn't feel like there was much belief in me from a coaching point of view. So I felt like, you know, if we lost, Leon was the first one to say, you're dropped. And for me, you know, it was a bit disheartening. Like in terms of confidence in myself, I really struggled with that. Um, and then I'd go back, you know, I'd go back to seconds level and I'd actually play really, really well. Um, you know, I was a very strong performer at seconds level. And then I'd earn my way back in. And then I'd feel like, you know, it was, it was tough to kind of build some um, really, you know, consistent performances. And as soon as we lost again, bang, I was back in the twos. But so initially, you know, I used to blame the coaches and be like, fuck, like, you know, give me a chance. Um, but now looking back, I can honestly say that, you know, I would have been a tough person to coach back then. I, you know, although I was very hardworking um, in regards to training sessions game day, I feel like in terms of my commitment to the, the club and footy, I probably wasn't ultimate professional and I would have been tough to coach. So I can, I can look back now and actually say um, that the reason I didn't get more opportunities is probably because myself. Yeah. Um, but again, you know, I had a lucrative offer from Melbourne three years on really good money, a lot more than what I was getting offered at, uh, at Giants. And then, you know, just to be back in Melbourne with my family um, was, was a huge attraction. And also Melbourne at the time, like I genuinely believe, even now, I still think they've got an amazing side. If you look at the quality of players on their list. Definitely. Um, yeah, it's only better than what I was, uh, what it was when I got there. But um, they've got some really good players. It's just about obviously getting it together. But that, that for me, that was the attraction. Obviously, bigger deal, uh, longer deal. Um, and then, you know, sitting in a room with coaches at Melbourne telling you, you know, we really believe you're going to be in our next premiership side and, and, and be a, you know, a strong contributor in our actual main team every week. For me, that was what, what got me over the line. Yeah, it's, it's pretty cool when you can get to the point where you can be reflective and be like, you know what, I was actually, a bit, I was a big part of the problem because I definitely, man, I'm like you. For like three years, even after I came out of soccer, I'm like, it was their fault. Do you know what I mean? And then I realized like, actually, I would have been so fucking hard to coach. Like I was yeah. a little egotistical, thought I was better than what I was, probably wasn't the best professional and expected everything to happen. But then you get yeah. to the point where you're just like, oh yeah, it probably was me. Um, <laughs> and it's like... Yeah, I think a combination sometimes, but I think if you can reflect and actually look at it objectively and, and not be so kind of, you know, one dimensional in terms of blaming other people, that's when you actually make, uh, you know, you learn the most. Yeah, no, definitely. And when you came back to Melbourne, I would say they were probably in a similar position to like Carlton last year maybe where you started to see like they could be on the up and they started to actually bring in talent and people wanted to come to Melbourne because they saw a change in direction and the coach and things like that. How, how was your experience there? Because one of the things that stands out, there's a couple of moments that stand out, which we'll go into, but you, you're quite famous. I felt at the Melbourne demons, the famous mural in the city is one that stands <laughs> out to me still to this day, which is your Twitter cover. I think where you've got your arms out, like yeah, Michael yeah. Jordan wingspan. <laughs> Nah, it's pretty cool. I mean, yeah, I mean, Melbourne was a really cool experience. I, I feel like, you know, not only was I trying to be the best person I could be, not a, yeah, at, at Giants and at Melbourne, but I really tried to make other people better around me. Um, and just like, just from a confidence point of view, I, I saw so much uh, value in myself when I when I played with confidence. And I just looked at a lot of young players around me and they were very, um, you know, they were hindered by coach feedback. A lot of them were younger and they wouldn't take it very well. So what I tried to instill was just, you know, positivity and just positive reinforcement to show them, you know, these guys are stars. Like if you look at Christian Petrarca, um, look at the way he plays this year with so much confidence versus maybe his first few years. For me, he's still the same player. At training, I saw him do all that stuff at training he, and he's a star. Uh, probably one of the best players I've played with, if not the best. Um, and then, you know, and then you look at him obviously, yeah, with a with confidence point of view. So for me, 
you know, I love my time at Melbourne, but yeah, I guess I've got some pivotal moments with the mural. I've got uh, the Johannesson uh, story, Instagram story. And then also, yeah, the I guess the Mills, the Mills hit as well. They're probably three of the big, uh, big things can, that I can remember from me at can, the album uh, for good and bad. Can you give us a bit of the Johannesson Instagram story? Cause I actually don't know what that one is. Um, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, it, it all, it all started because I love Conor McGregor and again, back to the confidence stuff. So, I felt like, you know, looking who back the now, fuck is that guy? <laughs> who the fuck is that guy? Uh, I just love him, man. I, I, I look, he's one of my biggest inspirations in terms of not giving a fuck what anyone else thinks and just doing your thing. Um, I guess you know what I probably should have taken into consideration a little bit more than what I did was I was in a team environment, not an individual sport. <laughs> um, <laughs> saying that though. Even though I was being very, I guess, a couple of the moves I did were individual. Like, sorry, it could be viewed as being an individual. I really did, you know, behind closed doors, like I was the one putting in most effort into team stuff. Like I can put put my hand on my heart and say I was so committed to making other people better that I felt like when I did these things, um, maybe off field or or I did these things away from football, I felt like I'd done enough with, with the team stuff to show this isn't an act of me trying to be individualized. This is just me being me. Um... So yeah, that was uh, that was an interesting one because basically what happened was I was watching Conor McGregor and I was just like, I'm I, if I say I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it. So I don't know. Just that day, I was like, I wanted to be confident, and I I just rocked up at the game. I didn't even I think I said to one of my mates like, um, I'm going to do something today. Like I'm going to do something different. I didn't even know what it was. Rocked up at the game. What's he jumped out of the car like next to me, and I was like, What's he come out? Just took a screenshot. He had no idea. Um, and I just tagged Jason Johansson and said, You ready? I don't know why I wrote you ready. I just did. And, um, and it, like, we were obviously, we were targeting that game as well. But I didn't even think about that. I just thought, like, it's going to be that. I just thought, like, we're coming after these guys. And that's what I wanted to play with. I wanted to play with supreme confidence. And, you know, we won that game that day. And I played very well. And so did Watsy. So, I, I don't, you, can, you can criticize it all you want. But I kicked, I think I had 20 and kicked two. And our team played really, really well. Um, but, again, I, I took the selfie did that, then put my phone in my bag because you can't have your phone two hours before the game. So I did it like literally two hours and one minute before the game, put my phone in the pocket. Then we played. They come after me straight away. Um, there's there's plenty, of, uh, plenty of vision on it. And then, yeah, after the game, we got off the, got off the field and it was just viral. Like That was just literally so crazy, viral. man. I remember Goody pulling us in and just saying, you know, at the point we won, so they couldn't really say too much, but they just said, you know, no more posting on game day. So, um yeah, obviously I didn't do that anymore, but um, yeah, like, I, I get I get that to an I get that to a certain extent, but like at the same time, how good is that as a fan to be able to see players do that in like a team sport? Like, how much more exciting would that be if I'm going on Instagram watching Bulldogs versus Melbourne, seeing an opposition player tag another player and saying you're ready? Like, I'm like <laughs> I'm getting popcorn. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, I, this is where I think AFL have a lot to learn, and I mean. That's part of the reason I left it. It's an enter- like if they don't accept it's an entertainment sport, then like they're never going to grow. And you know they talk about wanting to be a global sport, a global company. It's not going to happen if you don't change with the times. You look at America. Look at Dane Lillard and Westbrook and CJ McCollum and Pat Beverly and for anyone that watches NBA. And it's amazing. Like this stuff is just it's so entertaining. Like we follow it live all the time. As soon as they play each other, we want to watch that game. And it just creates attention and. And, um, you know, one thing that Australia is bad at is they think by doing that, you're being arrogant, but it's just confident. And, you know, if everyone did it, the sport would be much bigger. Yeah, because you mentioned, right, you mentioned the NBA players and 
they do. They go at each other's necks. Like if they see a weakness in someone, they're going to go after him and they vocalize it in the media. And it's, it's like, it becomes a social media frenzy. And then it's like, everyone tunes in. They don't get criticized. Whereas AFL still got that element of like, you know, there's got to be that respect and coaches are very prim and proper on like culture. And you know, we don't need any more pressure than we, we have already. But I think one thing for you, which is why you mentioned your performance that day when you did that Instagram photo is you played footy on the edge and not from a point of where, you know, you would go out people to hurt people or anything like that, but that just would get the best out of yourself. And sometimes I was like that too. I turned into a bit of a, a different character to say off the field as I was on the field, because on the field, I became a bit more trash talky, a bit more confident, a bit more like robust in everything I did mm. because it actually made me perform better. It wasn't like anything other than that. And I think you're, you're quite similar in that sense, aren't you? Yeah, definitely. I think now I can look back and see that, you know, because it's a team sport because there's 18 or 22 players that are playing, Maybe, you know, my actions will put more pressure on other people who aren't that, um, you know, who don't deal with that as, as well as what I do. But I still believe that, you know, if, if you if you can't handle that type of pressure, then it's probably an insecurity in your approach on the game, either from a, uh, you know, from a performance point of view or even a preparation point of view. So I just made sure my preparation was the best I could possibly do, um, which it was. And then I, I didn't have any, even though I said this stuff, like, there was zero pressure on me because I knew I'd done the work. So. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. how I do that. No, it's 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 pretty cool. I I like it, man. I do. I can see why you know Simon Goodman probably doesn't like it as a coach, but as a as a fan, I mean, what more can you freaking ask for? I'd love going into the finals tonight and tomorrow in the AFL if one player just called another one out, and it's like it's game on. I mean, how much more inciting is that going to be to watch? But you, so you mentioned yeah. a couple of moments there that were quite pivotal in your. 30 plus games for the demons. Cause you did make a pretty big impact in those 30 games on and off the field. <laughs> <laughs> it's safe to say Tommy bug left his name there. Um, but one of them was probably a bit more of a sour moment. Um, that probably was, you know, reviewed, um, quite firmly and, and you copped a lot of stick for, and I probably want to speak about the Callum Mills incident a little bit, because for those that didn't watch it, it was Melbourne versus Sydney, probably would have been like 2014 or 15. Was it back then? I think I was living in the UK, so it might have been. No, it would have been. Um, would have been two seventeen. Two seventeen. Oh, was it that? Okay, there you go. So it was even later. So yeah, and pretty much, uh, it was something that was off the ball. I, I don't recall the whole incident, so I might need your advice a little bit. But I felt there was a bit of niggle coming from Callum Mills towards you, and there might have been stuff that happened well before the game. But pretty much how it ended was a clock to the face from you to Callum Mills, and it, it sent him, sent him to sleep, and and you copped a lot of stick and got a pretty harsh suspension and, and a lot of harsh criticism from people probably within the club, outside the club, and also outside of, um, you know, the fans in general. Um, can you just detail to me what that whole experience was like for you? Yeah, it's a, it's a funny one. It's, uh, I guess from the, the game point of view, it had nothing to do with Cal, like Cal Mills. Um, I think from my point of view, like I, I'd been niggled, it was five minutes into the game. So it wasn't like he'd been niggling me all day and I just snapped and I lost it. And I'm not an aggressive person either. Like, I mean, if you know me, I'm a lover, not a hater. Yeah. Um, and, sorry, lover, not a fighter. And so with, uh, so with Callum, yeah, he just, he just bumped me. Um, you know, he, he was just niggling me, trying to check me when I was running. And, you know, same kind of thing that I've done to a lot of people before is just hit them in the chest, punch them in the chest, Whatever, like not not usually punch, but usually just push him in the chest and, and do it hard because I don't want him to check me again. Um, but not in an aggressive manner, just to you know, it was a it was a strategic move that I'd done for years. Mm. Um, but in in that case, I just hit him flush on the jaw, and it wasn't even hard. Like I mean, maybe I watched too many Conor McGregor 
uh, certainly Conor McGregor fights when he fought Aldo or something, but like <laughs> I literally hit him on the switch. Yeah. And yeah. the one thing I don't, I don't remember much after the, like even throughout the game, everything was just, um, yeah, everything was just, it was so intense. And I was just, I probably had a lot of anxiety just thinking about different things. But that moment I remember like literally today. And as I hit him, he went down, but he actually was going down and said like, fuck you on the way down. So I thought he, I thought he was either faking it or it didn't even get him really. So that's, if you look at the footage, you'll actually see me not even, I don't even react to it. I don't look down. I don't look back. I literally just do it. And then I'm watching the ball. And then an umpire hundred meters off the ball behind me blows the whistle, runs over and he's just lying on the ground. And then I'm like, fuck, I'm in some trouble. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then obviously, you know, you watch the Sydney players come at me and, Again, I realized immediately that I'd done the wrong thing, and I just get, I'm getting like swung around in circles and dragged. I'm not fighting back because I did initially. I, I, you know, immediately I knew that this is this is a you know I've done the wrong thing. So yeah, but was- that yeah, it was, man, it was it was crazy. Like I mean, just a rush of emotions, not really knowing what to do. Then you know, for the rest of the game, getting snipered. Um, someone hit me in the third quarter off the ball. Ah, uh, no, just off the ball, and I think I perforated my eardrum. Like I was just getting cleaned up everywhere, but you know, probably deserved it as well. I would have done the same thing if someone did that to uh, a player on my team. Yeah. Um, was was that um? Sorry, go ahead. Okay. No, I was going to say, was that what was the what was the suspension that came with that from the AFL? Yeah. So I got I got seven weeks down. I got the same as Barry Hall <laughs> <laughs> for the Brent Stake for the Brent Stake yeah. hit. For the Brent Stake hit, yeah. So for me, I was just like, how could I get the same as Barry Hall? I didn't even mean it. You know what I mean? So. But it got down to six weeks. So because of early plea or guilty plea or whatever it was called, I got six weeks. But I just remember, you know, after that incident, I got off I got off the field, I walked in and, you know, initially I was just like, I didn't really, I didn't really realise what I'd done. You know, I was kind of like in the change rooms, like, uh, you know, I hadn't seen the footage. And then when I saw the footage, it was weird. It was weird. It was like an out-of-body experience. I actually felt myself back in that same, the moment it happened, but watching from um, the stands. And I was just wow. like, yeah, it was, it was really weird. And that's when I knew, that's when it kind of hit me and I was like, wow, I'm going to miss a lot of footy here. Did it look um, worse? So I, did it look worse when you watched it back than, I guess, when you yeah, did it? Yeah, a lot worse. Because I was on, on the field like, for the rest of the game. I'm thinking like, uh, maybe maybe I'll just clock, maybe he'll, he'll be right, he'll get back on and I'll, I won't even miss a week. Like, that's what I was thinking. Yeah. Like, you know, I was going through, and then I'm thinking, you know, it'll just be two or three weeks, I'll get back, I'll be fine, I'll play finals. Um, but yeah, obviously it wasn't, it wasn't that. And then I got off, I remember Jonesy showing me the hit because he didn't play that game, I don't think. Um, and then immediately when that happened, I kind of just went up to the social media manager and just spoke with him. And we, we just thought it was the best approach to, you know, get on air straight away and speak and just apologize directly to, you know, Callum, his family, um, you know, Sydney Swans and just AFL and the wider community. Like, you know, we obviously no one wants to see that kind of stuff on, uh, on TV. And we definitely don't want younger, you know, younger players and younger people seeing that and inciting any type of violence, especially at local footy level. Mm. Um, I thought that, you know, initially that was probably the, the, the right thing to do. And then, yeah, it was a bit of a flow-on effect from then. Obviously, I had to go back to training and tribunal and all that kind of stuff. So Yeah, because one thing, like, and and obviously I, I was in your corner as, like, one of your brothers in this moment, but you know, it's not something you, you ever condone and, and want to see on a footy field. But it, it does kind of piss me off in the sense that you mentioned the Barry Hall incident. And, like, for me, Barry Hall's hit on Brent Staker is probably, like, the worst thing you'll ever see. And was probably a lot worse than yours because it, it's just like he KOs the bloke for no reason. Um, yeah. And, and I guess for my, for my one was just more in an action when I was like, correct. you know, going to push off. Correct. Where Barry turned around and just king hit so, But Barry Hall. Then it was hard. 
Barry Hall's video yeah. goes like, I mean, I saw Mason Cox shirt with some guy in the States who's reviewing the AFL and just kind of showed him as like, hey, this is what AFL footy's about. Like it's glorifying it. You know what I mean? Yeah, Whereas like yeah. you got, you your next sort of seven weeks were like a bit of a living hell in Melbourne, wasn't it? Because you were seen as like this villain. I remember even my old man said he reached out to you and caught up with you for a coffee just to check in on you. Like you went through, yeah. you went through a really tough period on the other side of that with a lot of backlash. Um so that must have been pretty tough. That must have been pretty tough for you. Um, yeah, it was. I mean, for me, like getting compared to someone like, again, I, I haven't actually, I don't think I've met Barry Hall, but I'm sure he's a nice person. And um, But to get, to get, you know, put in the same category as someone that had done that and that I looked at for so long and gone like, you know, that's a bad image for the game. To be, you know, put in the same category, that, that kind of hurt a little bit. But I mean, I'm, I'm very lucky that I built that strong mindset because if it was someone that didn't have a strong mindset in my position, I, I generally lead that. I generally think there would be, um, you know, I would have had a lot more issues, but I'm just blessed that I had obviously great people around me. And obviously I built, you know, for a couple of years there, I'd start to build a really, really strong mindset where I didn't, I wasn't affected by other people's opinions on me. Yeah. Um, and I really had a strong sense of who I am. Um, but it's funny, like, I mean, I got, man, I got, I got so many messages on Instagram, especially because it come from, Another thing I didn't mention as well is, which I was probably the only person ever to do, is when we played Richmond, I celebrated running into an open goal, which no one's ever done before. And I don't know why I did it. I did it. So I've, I've taken a, I took a hanger on Bashahuli and then I ran into an open goal and like pointed at the goal before I did it. So, and then I shushed, I shushed the crowd at Richmond. Like, You're an entertainment machine. I don't know. I like, you know, I was practicing what I was preaching, but um, yeah, so I decided Western Bulldogs, then I decided Richmond, who's the biggest club in, in Australia, which I actually, you know, I love the club. I love the Richmond club. But um, yeah, I'd done all that and then led up to this. So people just ready to come at me with everything. So I mean, I couldn't explain how many messages I, or DMs I had on Instagram with, uh, you know, people just fucking losing it at me, death threats, telling them they're going to come around to my house. Um, it's just, yeah, just insane, insane amount of, uh, influx of that stuff so again luckily that you know i had i had a really strong mindset but even at you know it's at some points i was probably a little bit you know worried for my safety in regards to people sending me death threats and uh yeah you know living in paran at the time as well which was super central but i mean in, in regards to seeing people face to face i've walked down the street and no one ever said a bad word like i'd have people come up to me and, and say i hope you're okay and um you know it's Good. you know it's not it's not a true reflection of your character and these were just random people so i mean you know i'm just glad that i left a really good, uh, I guess, impact or imprint on these other people, even though that I've done something like this. Yeah, because there's a human element to that as well. Everyone makes mistakes and people start to forget that you're a human on the other side of it. And there's been a few people we've had on the podcast that have come out of difficult moments being in the spotlight where they've had like death threats and absolute just social media abuse, um, which is yeah. which is not called for in any way. But as as because that's a bit of a like defining moment of your Melbourne career, which is a bit of a shame in a sense because a lot of people maybe overlook actually how skilled of a footy player you really were and to get, you know, 90 odd games or whatever it was you played in the AFL system up until the age of 25, wasn't just on like playing on the edge and, and clocking blokes. Like you had a lot of real skill. Um, but, but did you ever start, was that sort of around that period? Was there a point there where you started realizing maybe footy wasn't what you wanted to do or, or was that sort of, as we move into the Carlton yeah. experience, when did that all start to change for you? Yeah, it was an interesting experience because, again, like, I mean, you know, I wasn't happy with a lot of things that happened throughout that period of time, either with my family. Um, and I hold, you know, I hold no, um, you know, I hold, I hold no uh, animosity towards the Melbourne Footy Club. They gave me an opportunity and I, I, I still to this day, I love, I've got mates there and I love watching them. But, you know, in regards to when I look back and reflect how they handled my situation, regardless if I was being a little shithead or not, 
you know, I think I think they could probably look back now and say they could handle a lot better from a you know a personal well-being, mental well, mental health point of view. Like, I mean, I got sent away from first of all when it, when it all happened. Um, you know, Goody, Goody called me the next few days and just checked in and made sure I was okay, which you know I was super grateful for at the time. Um, so that was sweet. And then I got we we're meant to do a, a football report, like a review after the game. After every game, you have to say, you know, how was your offense, defense, blah, 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 all this kind of stuff. And I didn't, I think I wrote on mine just a night I'd like to forget. That's all I think I wrote. And I knew I wasn't playing for a long period of time. I wasn't trying to be a smart ass. I just, I just didn't know how to, how to even, you know, I didn't even know how to reflect on that game. So I wrote that. And then I got to the club on Monday, went to training. You know, it was a weird thing because there was so much media there and it was all about me, which again, I, you know, I'm not that type of person. I actually don't want it to be all about me, even though I did things like that. Um, and then he ripped me, like ripped me about, you know, being arrogant, not, not uh, you know, putting the report in properly, which again, I can see from a, from his point of view, maybe he just wanted me to, you know, follow the rules, which is understandable. So from then, you know, and then I had obviously the tribunal that night. Um, and just before I was about to go to the tribunal, he pulled me in and just said that I wasn't going to be, you know, allowed to come to the club for the next 10 days. Um, which for me, you know, it's probably the one moment in my life that I've actually genuinely had anxiety. Um, and I was just shocked. I, you know, I thought this is a club, you know, obviously going through a, a tough time. And I just thought, you know, he, he really could have been there, especially as a leader and, and someone I really looked up to. Um, and he kind of just said, you know, you're not, you're not coming back to the club for 10 days. And then I had, you know, a couple of people check in with me. I think Shannon Burns checked in with me. He was the welfare manager a couple of times, but probably one person, um, you know, Max Gorn and a, he checked in with me a couple of times and I actually felt a bit rude the first time he reached out. I didn't, I didn't reply to anyone. I kind of just put my phone down and then he kind of sent me another message a couple of days later going like, come on, mate, like, you know, I'm trying to reach out to make sure you're okay. And I just, you know, I apologize. I said, mate, thanks so much. And I appreciate it. But you know, I guess that shows a bit of Max's character too. And when he got picked to be the captain, um, I was actually genuinely grateful and, and happy for him because first of all, he's a great person, great player. Um, but just that moment there showed me he genuinely cared. He didn't have to do that. Um, yeah. And he wasn't captain leader at the time I don't think so that happened and then you know as and obviously got the uh I had to go to the tribunal and put my case forward and I had no idea what to do I'd no I literally had no idea I just had trusting what Melbourne was saying and they were telling me to go in you know and plead guilty and whatnot um so I did that and obviously got my weeks and then you know I didn't really hear from the club for 10 months uh 10 weeks uh 10 10, weeks, 10 days so um I really reflected on on everything then and just you know like you said before it is footy for me you know does is this just a business or is it, is it, is it a family? Because before that, I felt like, you know, footy was everything to me. And I realized fairly quickly that, um, you know, if something goes wrong, you, you really find out who the people are going to be there for you. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, that, that was a really interesting time in my, in, in my life. I mean, you know, I hold no, uh, again, no animosity towards Goody or the club. Like, I, you know, I thank them. And it's probably one of my biggest lessons because I had to learn shit on my own. Yeah. Um, and I had to go by myself, um, which I learned so much from. And then, and then, yeah, man, I just, from there, I was just like, you know, I need to focus on myself and life after footy because if I don't, not only is footy going to finish, but I'm going to have nothing afterwards. So that was really the creation of, uh, you know, not, I spent nine months. I didn't really drink over that time. I just was so dedicated to, to proving everyone wrong. Um, and then, yeah, and then I, I guess I, I didn't get picked for round one the next year and I was, I was in the best nick of my footy career. I kicked goals in, in the, in the preseason. They didn't pick me round one. They went with another player, which, you know, a week later, that player got dropped, and they come and told me that they, you know, that they should have picked me the week one, um, but they didn't. Obviously, didn't. And then, yeah, I played a few games, and then one of my big, I guess, my biggest moment was I was all into manifestation, and you know, I, I wanted to kick five goals at AFL level, and I uh, against North Melbourne was my breakout game. I felt, and I kicked four goals, one, 
um, you know, just off kind of what I was after. But I did that and then I played the next week uh, against Hawthorne. I kicked four points. I think I was like maybe the third highest possession getter for, for our team. And then I was dropped the following week. So for me, I just had no confidence in, in a system that I couldn't control. Um, I was in, you know, and I don't like to make excuses either, but it gets to a point where you you review what your life is and what everything it's surroundings around you. And if, if you can't, if, if I can't control those surroundings, um, then I wanted to remove myself. And that's when I really started, um, you know, to think of life outside of footy. And that's when, yeah, when Zeus Group started to form. Yeah, it's crazy that you say that about uh, manifestation because I'm a massive believer in that. Uh, also, a couple of comments on that. The first one where you mentioned the, the coach at Melbourne at the time thought it might be the best to isolate you from the team in your probably darkest moment is a really weird strategy to me. And I can, my only thing from his perspective that could even make sense and realistically it doesn't make sense was the noise that it would bring onto the other 40 odd players who were training every day in the media and stuff. But at the same time, yeah. do you, but you'd think you'd put your arm around a bloke who's in a shitty spot. Um, I wonder yeah. if, I wonder if he'd do that again, knowing, you know, but, but I, um, I guess what's, what's made me happy about hearing that is how you took it as a positive experience to reflect and grow, yeah, um, uh, which is which for sure. Is... If, I saw, if I saw Goody down the street now, like I, again, like I said, I'd have no you know anger towards him or anything like that. Like I, you know, I'd actually love to catch up at some point and, and discuss all this stuff because uh, you know it was a pivotal moment in my life. Um, but yeah, I mean, from the, the only thing I, I kind of saw or I could take away from maybe why he did it is just you know he was a young coach at the time too. I think it was only his second year. He's inexperienced probably at that time too, and um, and it was a lot of pre- like I did put a lot of pressure onto the club, which you know he was probably not happy about or, or, you know, maybe even people higher than him were, you know, not happy about. So, yeah, that's that's the, that's what I can kind of make sense of it. But, again, like if I saw him down the street, say day, and, you know, we shared some great memories together. So, uh, you know, yeah. that stuff too. Yeah. So as you, as you move out of the Melbourne experience, which from a character point of view, it seems like you're getting to know yourself better, you're strong, you've got a stronger sense of self, you're starting to understand and, and – uh, I guess, value experiences in life and whether that's in footy or outside of footy, you're starting to firm up a view of that, which I got to a point of that too, where it's like, as much as I've given to this sport and how much I love it, you know, how much is this giving back to me right now to the point that I'm getting the satisfaction I need? And is there other things in life that can make me happier or, or I can do? And um, you then, I think you got rookie drafted. Was it to Carlton? Um, yeah. Winning the rookie draft? Uh, yeah. Was it, or did you get traded? Delisted free agent. I got picked D- up. Delisted delist- delist- free agent. Okay, so there's there's two things for the Carlton experience. One is, I know you as a bloke would have been pretty good around the club, and I even I think we were out one night having a few drinks, and there's a few of the younger boys there um, who were relatively new at the time. And I think like might have been Zach Fisher and a couple others. Um, and I just remember you going out of your way to like, now nah, I got to look after the younger boys. Um, and I just, I, I could see you had that perspective on you as like, I've, I've had a few years in the system now. I know these boys, they're out in public. Like I've got to look, got to look after them. And we completely shifted our whole night of what we're doing to make sure they're okay, which is a lot of things that people don't really see or know about you, which is pretty cool. Um, but what was that period like for you at Carlton? Was that a really tough time because you were kind of thinking of life outside of footy as well? Yeah, it was a very hard, it was a very hard time for me because I wanted to like, so with all the stuff with Melbourne, I wanted to um, – I, I did want to quit. I want, when I was – you know, I went into the meeting, I think, when they said they were going to delist me. Again, I, I think I should – I deserve probably a contract. You know, if you think at the time, I was literally having 30 and two or three every week in the twos. Mm. Um, I should have been 
up until about half time, I was probably best on ground in the VFL grand final. Um, and then obviously, you know, Hawthorne took, uh, yeah, Box Hill took over and, and smashed us. And I don't know, someone else won it. But, um, you know, in regards to that, I just felt like, um, yeah, I just felt like it was, it was a really hard point because then I was done. Like after they said you delisted, I was, you know, my, my dad was really keen on me to keep playing, um, you know, which I can see, but spent 20 years, um, you know, driving me around to basketball, footy, all this kind of stuff, you know, to, to just give it up like that um, after, you know, a couple of hard challenges. And I didn't want it to look like I was quitting. But I just my priorities had changed, and I, and I didn't want to play. Um, and then you know, Sauce contacted me, Stephen Silvani from Carlton. Um, you know, I had some really a really good friendship with him, and you know, obviously spent a lot of time up at Giants together. So for him, he just said, "Mate, come in and have a uh, have a meeting with Brendan Bolton, and if you know if you want to continue to play, let's do that. If you don't, then that's sweet. No, no pressure at all." And I went into that meeting really open minded. Um, but yeah, I flew back from the states to take the meeting as well. So I was over there with Gorney. Uh, Harmsy and a couple other people as well. And I flew back to take the meeting. So, so had, obviously, you know, had you, when you'd left Melbourne, had you decided you were, you were potentially going to give it up no, or you were still no. wanting to play footy then? No, I was done. I oh, so I'm you done. were done. Right. So you took no. that meeting. So when you said you were going in with an open mind, it was an open mind of like. No. Nah, so, so when I took, so basically Melbourne, I finished at Melbourne. Yeah. Then I had like four or six weeks off or forever off in my, in my head. I was like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I've gone overseas, man, and I'm fucking drinking every day. I'm fucking eating whatever I want, burgers, fries, whatever the fuck I want. <laughs> and, then I get, and then I get a call from a manager, hey, mate, Sauce wants to meet with you, but you've got to be back next week, all this kind of stuff. I'm like, fuck, all right, I'll fly back, you know, and, and I'll come in open-minded because, you know, it's, again, it's another opportunity, and the way Sauce was talking was, was super positive. Um, so I was like, sweet. So I come back, went into that meeting. I guess, open, yeah, I was open-minded, but I was still very strong on, you know, what I wanted, and something was going to have to make me want to play to, to do it. And basically got in there, Brendan Bolton was just like, mate, we love the way you play. We really do see you in the side. We think you can offer a lot of experience and a lot of advice to the younger players that need to play with confidence and need to play with a bit of aggression. Um, and we just want you to be you. That's all he said. He just said, we want you to come in. Don't be anyone else. Just be you. And that's probably the only thing that would have got me over the line. If he didn't say that line, I probably would have never gone a couple. That's crazy. Um, so, my, my, you know, I'm just like so thankful for even Brendan, my time with him, like he's an amazing person, one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet. Um, and then Sauce as well. But the hardest thing with that is, you know, I went into I went into uh, Carlton and I was out of shape. Like, you know, I was known as the fit person at, at Giants, which Sauce knew me for. I was known as the fit person just in general. Like I used to work so hard. And I remember I obviously got to the club, I was out of shape. I don't even know what my skinnies were. They were high though, they were like <laughs> uh, they were actually decent for what for what I was doing, drinking and eating, like they were only like 70-odd or 75, which is still high. Okay, very so high. Still pretty bad. <laughs> still bad. But, you know, I, I thought I would have been over 100 because I just did, hadn't done anything. Like, I didn't give a fuck about yeah, yeah. my fitness. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, and then I did the first running session and I was last. And we're doing hill sprints. I'm not the best, I'm not the best at hill sprints <laughs> at the best times. Yeah. <laughs> and then I'm running. All of a sudden, I see my first run running around and then I see sauce at the top of the hill. And, like, I'm last. And I'm thinking, uh -oh. fuck, he's going to, like... What's he, he's going to be, I can just see him. Like the way he was looking at me was like, wow. Anyway, come to Tuesday next week. And he, you know, he, he pulled me in and he said, you know, what's going on? Like, what's going on? Like, you know, I know the reason I got you the love is because I knew you were fit and I knew you were, um, I knew you were, uh, you know, you're going to push those boundaries and the standards. So I felt, you know, it was hard because I was in such bad shape and, you know, I'm trying to get my mind to back into that footy professional environment, which is very, very tough. If you've gone over that edge where I'm not playing anymore. And a yeah, lot of guys, man, it is, 
as soon as you make, you know, as soon as that mind's gone, it, you know, I was still young, but you look at those, you know, people that retire at 30, 32, they say as soon as the mind's gone, it's hard. It, it really is. It's so hard. It's uh, Dana, run. Dana White says, he goes, if there's ever a fighter that's thinking about retirement, that's what you should do. Because uh, it's true. If you think, if your mind can go there, then that's probably the right thing to do. Uh, but do, yeah, like, do you regret? Do you get taking the Carlton contract at all, though? Because no, nah, I don't. I don't. Because at the time, I really, I really wanted. To, I had every intention into putting everything into it. Yeah. Um, but it was like you know, I couldn't run two k without being puffed, like mm. being absolutely puffed. Like it was a, just a mission to get to training. To even walk out on the field it was a mission. Yeah. Um. So after a while, I you know, and the one thing uh, Sos said to me, you know, like we don't want you like you know, quitting after, just say you don't play the first few rounds. We don't want you like quitting or even, you know, halfway through the year. So I never had the intention of retiring or quitting at all ever. Mm. Um, but, you know, as Zul's group kind of got bigger and, and more established and at, you know, in October that year, it probably wasn't at a point where I needed to, you know, be there full time. I could just do my things part time. I had a couple of workers working for me at the moment. Um, but then, you know, the, the vision of growing the company, like if we want to be a global company, I couldn't be playing footy on the weekend and training and putting all my energy and effort into that and not, you know, and we were asking, you were potentially raising for investment then as well. And how am I meant to ask people for hundred K million dollars more if I'm not doing it full time? Mm-hmm. So um, my biggest thing was, you know, and it's funny because when I think back, like I'm in the change rooms, writing emails for like talent, I'm making phone calls and then I'll just literally put my phone down, walk out the training, come in, I'm doing emails, like oh, yeah. just trying to, um, you know, trying to grow the business. And, and I, you know, the, the hardest quit was I just felt like I was letting so many people down um you know my dad sauce the club at Carlton they'd really you know they'd given they'd given me a spot on a list and then some other kid wasn't going to be able to get that chance fortunately enough that's the year they brought in the preseason draft and two people got the opportunity and it gave um who did it give Michael yeah Michael Gibbons and I can't think of the other one but it gave Michael Gibbons and another player um another opportunity so you know I'm those guys, I could see how much work they were putting in and how much they wanted it. And, then, and for me to look at that effort and then me not, I just, I just, that, that never would have sat well with me. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, I just, man, when I, when I had so many people just saying like, you know, you're going to regret quitting, you're going to regret quitting. I had no one, no one tell me, do it, like quit, except for me. And then, you know, it's pretty hard because you've got all your mentors, you've got your, all your support systems, you've got your family, you've got your best mates, all telling you no. And then you've got me that, decided no I'm not I'm not playing anymore so they all said you're going to regret it and my biggest thing was I'm going to regret it if I keep playing so I don't know one thing one thing I've learned is just I've myself in and I've never had uh, an opportunity where it's been the wrong decision for me so Mate. that's kind of the advice when anyone asks me for advice I always just say back yourself in 100% like obviously you know you want to do it with some calculations and 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 do it um yeah do it, you know you want to have we want it to be calculated in a sense not just saying oh I'm giving up a 200, 300, whatever K job a year and then have nothing to fall back on. Like I was destined for, you know, what I'm doing now and I'm super passionate about it. And it's probably, you know, a large reason to why we're, why we're you know, the number one agency in what we're doing at the moment. So in Australia. No, I think it's crazy for a lot of reasons because you've, as you said, um, to leave a sport or a situation that you've been so tied to from a young age and your family members have associated all your happiness and sex success with, uh, my family related to the same thing. When I walked away, they were like in shock and disappointment and sadness. And obviously they always wanted what's best for me and probably for you, the same thing. But it's a pretty tough decision to walk away from it on your own terms. Yeah. Um, because the you know by the book, you should be playing footy till you're 30, 34, 35 and have a great career and then make the move out. But Zuz 
was a real passion for you and was something that was building, as you said, as you were at Carlton, maybe on the back end of Melbourne even. Um, can you explain to the listeners, you know, for those that don't have any idea of what you're doing now, how incredible it is and, and what the actually company is based around? Yeah, so the company's called Zuz Group. Uh, we specialize in commercializing digital assets. So basically to simplify that is for social, we, we manage social media influencers or talent. Um, also, you know, we're doing some athlete stuff now. Basically anyone with, you know, a large profile online. And then we're basically matching them up with, with uh, you know, brands or ab- advertising that aligns with their brand. So, um, you know, for me, it's just, it's, it's relationship-based. It's, uh, you know, it's sales-based. And it's something that I'm really natural at. Um, for us, you know, obviously a social media agency, we're number one in Australia, uh, undeniably. And yeah, we, you know, in terms of a service, like I feel like when I played football and when I was an athlete, you know, there were certain things that I wanted from my management that I didn't get, although they did a great job, there was, there was more to it than just, um, you know, contracts. So what I try to instill into, you know, my services now, or what I'm doing is giving out a lot of our talent at 18 to 22 as well. So they're young, inexperienced, a lot of them are female and don't have an idea around, um, you know, what's expected from an admin or financial or even, you know, tax compliance point of view. And, you know, I really offer those type of services for them just to make sure, um, you know, they get the type of advice that, that I always wanted. So um, I get a lot of fulfillment out of that. And I guess for us, you know, we're looking to obviously number one here in Australia, but we've moved into uh, America now. So we've got an office in Beverly Hills um, you know, we're looking to move into the UK halfway through or early next year. And for me, it's just, I want to be the number one agency in social media influencing. And, you know, we, we've, we're developing our growth through technology. So we've positioned ourselves as a tech company and that's our point of difference um, from a growth point of view, from a, you know, an efficiency point of view. And um, yeah, I'm sure that a lot of people have heard of Zool's group now in Australia because of such a, you know, a big footprint that we're leaving. But it's, it's pretty cool, man. Like I must say just, when you think about it, and this is a big part of me with this with this whole podcast, is yes, sport is you know a lot of people's main focus and initiative. And whilst you're there, you should maximise your talent. But the the skill set that comes with being an athlete at the top and how it can translate into so many other areas of life to make a plan B or C better than your plan A, I think you're definitely an example of because you a lot of people would say when you went to Melbourne or GWS, you've got absolutely no right to be a CEO or a managing director of a social media influencer agency that's going to take the globe by storm and be having discussions with a lot of, you know, investors and business people and people on your board of how we can get some like series A, series B, series C funding for millions and millions of dollars. But that's what you're doing, which is just incredible. And a couple of things that may stand out about you in this space, which I think is highlights why it's really important to have a bit of a roadmap out of sport and an idea of what you're thinking of doing and how you want to do it because you do have um you know your energy's always been really electric i would say you're, you're quite a positive person look at life at a glass half full which you know through your tough moments you've shown and you know as a communicator you're, you're a really strong communicator and very personal with people so these skill sets and fundamentals have probably translated into business and as you said it's a really natural shift for you yeah um yeah but at the same, but at the same time, it's it's a pretty unique. Like you, you don't really get a CV or, or a degree in this space. It's mm. something you've just learned on the fly, right? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I th- I think a lot of it I've learned on uh, yeah on the go. A lot of it's you know I've got some really strong mentors um, that that help and guide. And what I've learned is you know you don't necessarily. I'm not practicing for any industry. I'm practicing you know like I do put a lot of personal development. So things like sales, well, sales is everything. But things like communication and building relationships. 
you have to work on those things. They don't just come um, naturally. So the way you interact with people and, and, and that, um, you know, you've got to review that stuff. And if you don't have good relationship building, then you need to either start working on it or, um, you know, hang around with people that are good at it. So you do learn. But I think the biggest things I took away from footy were the relationship stuff. You, you're in an environment where you, you have to communicate with people and you have to work with people. And it builds that team. You know, if, if, you, if you're not open to working with people or, or um, you know, basically every day you've got challenges as a footy player. Um, in some way, shape or form. And you've either got to do that by yourself. So there's problem solving there or you've got to do it with the team. And then there's team building there. Um, so it's all those skills mashed up for me with that confidence, which I instilled for years and years and years. Like I remember driving to training, um, like at, saying out loud, like by myself. If, if there was a fly on the wall, people think I'm crazy. But I used to say things out loud, manifest things, you know, in person because it's a lot stronger if you say it out loud. So for instance, um, but that's actually actually talking about memories back at footy. This is probably one of the key ones that really changed my mind. So I was big around manifestation and I got, uh, I got dropped. I got dropped from, I can't remember who we played, Freeman or something. And uh, yeah, it was early in the year and I got dropped. And I was the Conor McGregor mindset. So I was like, I'm going to kick five goals and have 35 touches in the twos. Like nothing's going to stop me. I'm going to manifest it all week. I'm going to say it every day. I'm going to say it hundred times a day and I'm going to do it. I've got Snapchat still of my story. I just sent Snapchats on the way, driving to the, driving to the game, sending Snapchats to my mates. Like, I'm kicking five. I'm having 35. Nothing's going to stop me. Uh, <laughs> and it's funny because you get dropped and they want to see how you react. So I go into the game, confident as ever. I think the first, first quarter I might have had like five touches and didn't kick a goal. But again, I'm just saying in my head over and over again, I'm 35, kicking five. And then, you know, in the second quarter, I kicked two. I had a, lot, I had a few more touches. And that you, don't, you don't actually know what you're going to get because at VFL level, you don't see it up on the screen. You don't see anything. It's just you find out at the end of the game. And then I'd kick four. And I'm thinking like, this is it. Like I'm going to literally manifest everything I've been talking about. And I've been preaching to my mates, my family. And, you know, it's still in this close circle. I wasn't saying it out loud to, you know, everyone, but I was saying it to close, my close family and friends. And then I mark the ball on like the 45 meter line. I'm lining up. I'm like, this is it. Like I'm manifesting it confident. I missed. So if I... I don't think I made, I didn't make the distance. And I was just like thinking, fuck this, that was it. That was my moment to prove to myself. Anyway, I was like, I've got to keep, keep positive, keep positive. Anyway, I did, ball comes back down. Like a couple of minutes later, I'm one-on-one with a guy. I outmark him and then I, I went back and snapped the ball on my right, kick the goal, kick five, get off the ground. I had exactly 35 and five that game. That's insane. So for me, it was just like, that was just, that just opened my mind up to, you know, Maybe even if I didn't get 35 and five that day and I had 30 and three, that's still better than what I would have had if I didn't have that mindset. So I just took that. That was like my really pivotal moment around if I manifest stuff and if I really truly believe something, I can, I can achieve it. Mixed in with the skill sets that I was currently building and the mentors and the guidance I had around me, I was just, you know, nothing going to stop me right now. Like, you know, I, it's a funny thing because I used to walk in to the club and I, uh, and I used to post shit about Zul's group on my socials. I'd walk into the club and people would be like, Zoom! So like, but, the, but the crazy thing about that is I fucking impacting my ability to get a game. So, I, yeah. and mate, Jake Melchon was a funny one. He's a, he's a joke star. Um, and he was saying every time I walked in, I actually had to have a word to him to say, bro, like, you need to stop saying it. I'm not getting a game because every time I walk in, they think I'm fucking, you know, they just don't. Taking the piss. Yeah, they think I don't think I'm working. Yeah. What do you think I'm working on that? So, um, I'm trying to circle back to why I was uh, talking about this. I think it was the skill set around, you know, what I'm doing now. But 
No, 100%. Yeah, definitely. The translatable skills. Yeah, those translatable skills. So um, for me, that, that was a huge moment. I still think back to it every single day. I think about those, those type of skills in that moment in particular. Because I, I love that about you. And manifestation is something I probably don't think I do enough of. But when I think back to moments where I've done it, and I've actually got a little story about this, because I do want to ask you now about your daily habits uh, of just things you do, because some of these things are, I feel that you've done back then are definitely now profound in what you do now, which is making you successful. But it's funny, man, when I was 12 years old, I was watching the under 17 World Cup. It was 2005 and they were playing in Peru. And I was like, the first time I got attached to soccer and I was watching this guy, his name was Kaz Patafta. And if Kaz is listening, Kaz, he's actually a legend. He, he was 17 years old playing for Benfica and he was an Aussie. But he was had the number ten on his back. He was wearing a like the captain's armband, wearing the so Socceroos like kit, yeah. playing in front of thousands of people in like I think it was Mexico. And I'm like, Dude, this guy's like, this guy's it. Like he's made it. And I remember what they did before the game in soccer. They take a team photo, and he stood on the far left with his hand like around the player. He had like the like the Australian kind of like flag you give the other captain yeah. before you shake hands. He had his captain's armband on. He stand there and they took a photo. And I always remember that photo. And I'm like, I pictured in my head like I'm gonna do that. Like, I'm going to be that guy. I'm going to stand in that position yeah. with a photo, with a captain's armband and all this shit. Anyway, to cut to the chase, it's not to, to big me up or anything, but it, it was around manifestation because I always remembered that. And then when I when I got my um, – played for the Young Socceroos and then I captained a tournament we played in Japan and we're playing Mexico, funnily enough. Um, but we played in the stadium where – I don't know if you probably would know this, but some of the listeners may remember the 2002 World Cup, which was in Japan and Korea, where Ronaldinho chipped – David Seaman for England. It was like a free kick where you're supposed to cross it and it went in the top corner. We played in that stadium. So it was like massive. Anyway, when the photo was taken, I didn't even think. Like I just went and took the photo. After the game, I got the photo and I was like, holy fuck. Holding the thing, same position, captain's armband, arm around the guy, massive stadium, like a 50,000 seat stadium. Like like just a manifest of yeah. that, bro. Like, you know what I mean? And it comes back to that. Like what, what, you, what you speak about when you put that out in the atmosphere, shit happens. Mm. So... Do you still do that stuff now in your day-to-day -day habits? Like what's a day for you like as a CEO of a company? Yeah, it's it's a lot of it's, um, you know, I've, I've got a lot of meetings these days because, you know, it's it's around, you know, growing the business or the business development side of things. Um, you know, I'm still trying to acquire talent, still trying to acquire brands to work with. And then there's also, you know, from a staff point of view, you know, I've got four staff here in Australia, I've got four in America, but we're growing, you know, um, even more over there. Um, we've also got some, uh, you know, some assistance as well that, that helps with that. But I mean, a lot of it is, you know, managing other people and, and uh, delegating roles. Um, but in regards to personal development, like I wake up in the morning, um, you know, I like to change it up. So every six to eight weeks, I'll try to change it because if it's just the same thing, I, I really get, I get really scared to stay in the same routine. And then just two years passes and I'm like, wow, that, that was just, I was on autopilot. Um, yeah. I try to change it up every six to eight weeks. The, what my one looks like at the moment is I will sleep with my blinds open now. Um, that's a big one because it gets light at like six o'clock. So it wakes me up. Wakes you up. And then at 6.30, you know, I probably start, get start, start getting moving. I've got my laptop. So I just look at my emails quickly, look at any messages, anything important, um, do that. Then I just walk, I, I walk down to one of my uh, local cafes, get an egg and bacon and, and a coffee. And then I come back. Um, it's on a, it's on track road. They do a really good deal if, uh, if anyone's listening in around the road. <laughs> Give them a shout out. Who are they? What are they called? Cafe. So um, they're doing bacon hey. and uh, almond magic for uh, for ten bucks. If you want to want to almond but magic, that's very Melbourne. It is, but it's uh, you know it's a very good start. But uh, yeah, I love that. So 
I do that. I come back to uh, to my place here now because obviously we're in, we're in lockdown, um, and I usually put some music on. So I, like my neighbors probably hate me, but I literally have it on like level hundred, um, and just like kind of dancing around, singing around, just to get moving. Like even if I don't feel like it, I just do it because it gets my vibe up, and then I'm literally like pumped for the day. Um, so that's that. And then I also go into, at the moment I listen to podcasts. So uh, I used to listen to like an hour at a time, but what I'm feeling now um, or what I've been trialing, which I'm really, really liking is listening to kind of 15, 20 minutes of a podcast and then applying that to my day. Um, so the one I'm listening to is Grant Cardone. I think his name is, do you know Grant? Yeah. Uh, I, I think, uh, is he like a real estate mogul or something like yeah, that? Yeah, he's he... into real estate. He's into a bunch of, a bunch of stuff, but uh yeah, I've seen him interview Mayweather. I've seen him. Yeah, he's got a, he's got a book called um, it's called the 10x rule. Um, it's basically just you know if anyone's listening and wants and wants uh, you know a really good uh, audio book. I'm more into audio books than reading. Um, even though I've you know I've read a few books in my time, uh, I do like audio stuff just because I like to relax and just take it all in. Um, and yeah, basically it's just it talks about you know putting in more effort than what's what's required so if you're looking for a result here you actually need to put in 10 times more effort than what you are what you think you need to do mm. so listen to that and that just like literally pumps me up like i get you know i honestly get goosebumps when i listen to it and then that starts my day and then then it's just about you know looking at different opportunities so um you know i had some really cool opportunity when i first met my mentor which i'm sure we'd go into uh, if you want it's a really cool story but basically when i met him he, the one thing he said to me was just opportunity passes people every single day it's just whether or not they're ready for it so what I feel like is I really set my morning routine up to be prepared for any opportunity that comes by me that day. Um, and funny enough, you start to get opportunities if you do this stuff that just pop out of nowhere. You can't explain them. You can't prepare for them. They just come out of nowhere. And, you know, some really cool opportunities have come and you meet some really amazing people. And that's when, you know, you start to get creative and brainstorm ideas. And, you know, that's when special things happen. I've, I've got a... Uh, to being around Tommy Bugs, inspiring people, I must say, when you when you're around people like yourself, it does, it's infectious. And I've got, I do have a couple more questions before we round out the podcast, but that was going to be one of my ones. Was how did you meet your mentor, and what's that relationship like now? And and I guess how like pivotal has that been into who you're becoming? Yeah, um, I won't go into details of him in terms of name and what whatnot, but basically the story how the story started was I come back to Melbourne. I've always been a, a person that's really searched for more. So not in a sense of being unfulfilled, but being a sense of, you know, I want to be the best person I can be. Um, and when I come back to Melbourne, I really started to think, you know, I was always entrepreneurial. My parents are entrepreneurial. So I was always thinking like different ideas, products, services, all this kind of stuff. And I moved into a place without one of our good friends, uh, Will Edwards and Tom Quinn, actually, um, on Model Tree Road. And we're living in, uh, in Armidale. And basically my, my route to Melbourne Footy Club each day could have gone a lot quicker, but I chose to go down... Turak Road, down St. George's Road to see all the houses and all the cars. Because if, if you're not familiar with Melbourne or, or St. George's Road, it's, it's probably the richest street in Melbourne. It's got the best houses and the best cars by a long way. Yeah, um, yeah it does. Uh, the dream is to have a, have a house on there at some point. Um, so yeah. I drove down there and I used to just think, like, what are these, how are these people different? If they all live in the same place, they've all got a lot of money. Like, you know, not that it's all about money, but they've all got, you know, a lot of wealth. How, how are they able to acquire this? And, you know, I want to know why. So, Kept driving down there, driving down there for like six months. Nothing had happened. Used to just see Bentleys and get and get excited for my day. I guess that, in a sense, was my manifestation back then. Um, and then, you know, I, I drove. I was driving home one day. I had a Holden Cruise at the time, so just a little banged up Holden Cruise, and um, was driving that up. And I, I saw a red Lambo on the side of the road, and I kind of got anxiety straight away. Or, yeah, I was just like nervous, and I, I was just because I was thinking about getting out and knocking on the window. 
but I couldn't do it. I was like, nah, I don't, I don't want to do it. I'm not ready. So I drove up the road halfway through St. George's and I was like, nah, I gotta, I gotta do this. Like I'll regret this for the rest of my life if I don't. Did a U-turn, you know, fortunate enough that the, the car hadn't moved yet. Uh, you know, and I jumped out and when I knocked on the window, the guy looked at me like I was crazy and I probably was. Um, and he just, you know, I said like, what do you want? And I just said, you know, I, I love your car and, and I really, you know, it's something I dream of and I'd love to know your story and hear how you got to the point where you're at. And uh, he was a bit, he was a bit, uh, I guess, taken back. He just, you know, on the, wait on the sidewalk and I'll be over in a sec because he's just on a conference call. I said, sweet. And then he got out, spent 45 minutes with me talking about, you know, mindset and, and how, um, you know, you're in control basically of, of your own destiny and your own life. So for me, that was just, that's when my life changed that day in terms of the way I viewed things and my perspective um, and really went from, you know, blaming others or having excuses to really taking ownership of my own life. So um, yeah, it's amazing. He's still my mentor to this day and, and I, I still check in with him very, very regularly. And um, he gave me some books to read, which, which really changed my perspective and my views on things. Um, and, you know, he didn't look at things being, people being lucky. He looked at people working for it and how do they get to the places they get. Um, and really that, that was the big shift. Uh, and, and, and yeah, just, it's just funny how like my, my world of life would be so different if I didn't make that decision. But again, the one thing he said to me, which resonated with that day so much was opportunities pass people every single day. It's just whether or not they're ready for them. And I had these opportunities pass me every single day, but I'd never, I probably wasn't, I wasn't ready for them and I, I didn't make that move. And for some reason that day, I jumped out of my car and I knocked on that window and it changed my life forever. So um, it's funny. It, it's it's funny how, how things work like that. That's a pretty unique story, dude. It seems like it's one of those things you're driving off and like, yeah, when you say you're going to regret this for the rest of your life, it's like an out-of-body experience that's just turned your car around and gone and knocked on the window, hey. Um, <laughs> yeah. hey, kudos to you not many people do that not many people have the balls to do that to take life by the scruff of the hands and take a chance and um seems like you've developed a pretty cool relationship that most would probably kill for but you know it's about taking that risk and yeah. putting yourself out there to, to gain that sort of yeah. wisdom yeah definitely and i think for, you know for people watching like I, i'm not the most at that point i wasn't the most confident person i wasn't like that that wasn't natural to me i, I got a lot of anxiety doing it and it was very very unlike me but um, you know, anyone can do it. And, you know, I think people like that that are successful, that, you know, they they like helping people. So if you take that if you take that jump and you actually take that risk, they, they really do appreciate it. Um, you know, this guy that turned out, he was, you know, he was a co uh, CEO and founder of a, of a billion-dollar company. So, Crazy. I mean, you know, that was just obviously, you know, the, the wealth side of things, that's amazing and it's an incredible journey for him. But the biggest thing I took away from that was his mindset and, and what, you know, not just from a acquiring money point of view, but even towards his health, towards his relationships, towards his family, friends. Um, you know, that was what I really took away from that that encounter. It's a beautiful story, mate. It's one that's inspiring. I feel like I need to go knock on a Mercedes or a Lambo door right now and just say, "Hey, mate, can we go for a coffee?" And I'm probably going to do that. I'm going to be honest. I'm going to. I promise you now, I'll do that at some point, and I'm going to send you my story. And hopefully, it's as cool as yours. Um, but my my last question was because what you've done, I think's people would see as a tremendous risk or, you know, going against the grain, but you're in a position where you're much happier, you're much more fulfilled um, and you've taken a chance on yourself that everyone kind of didn't want you to do. But can you give, you know, for all footballers or, or professional athletes out there in general who are pretty zoned in on sport, but they feel like there's more to life than what they're just doing and they want to kind of, you know, try some other things whilst they're either playing sport or get out of their sport. Do you, can you give, I guess, any words of advice or wisdom to some people in those shoes right now who, who are thinking that way? 
Yeah. I think it's still a tough one if you're still playing football because, or if you're still playing a sport at the highest level because it does demand such great focus and such great commitment. So that does make it a little bit harder. Um, so, you know, starting a, a bench on the side, if you can do it and manage it, that's great. If it's taking away from footy and that's your number one thing, I think that's hard. And maybe focus more just on networking and creating relationships post-footy. Um, that would be my advice for them. But, I mean, you know, I just – I think if, if I could go back to when I was playing footy, there's so many networks and relationships there that people are untapped on. You know, on their days off, they're playing FIFA, they're playing COD, they're going to co- uh, cafes, drinking coffees. Like, actually use that time um, to, to really uh, – not exploit, but just get the most out of the networks of the club, especially if you're at Melbourne, you know, Richmond, Collingwood, all these type of clubs, like, you know, the, the, the people involved, um, you know, and the, the amount they want to help the players is just astronomical. So my advice to, uh, yeah, to simplify it, my advice to any players at the moment is really, uh, you know, make use of those networks that are, that are uh, available now whilst you're playing, because when you do stop, you know, they're still, they're definitely still there, but when you're active playing, um, you know, that people are so much more, uh, so much more involved and they, and they want to get uh, more involved with those active players. Tommy Bug, you're an inspiration. And uh, in the words of David Beckham, mate, it doesn't matter whether you play for your club or your country, <laughs> it's always 100%. And that's the way it has been. That's the way it always will be. <laughs> Mantra me and you live by. Um, but no, I just want to thank you so much for coming on the podcast, dude. This was a electric conversation, as I expected. So good. There's still so much more we can talk about. And when restrictions lift in Melbourne... We definitely have to come into the studio here that we've got brewing with Room 10 Company um, just to, yeah, lift the screws up more on, on what we can talk about because I feel we could talk for hours on end. No, 100%, mate. I absolutely love what you're doing with the uh, with the Unlaced podcast as well. I think it's uh, it's terrific. You, you know, you're really uh, focusing on athletes post, post-sport um, and really helping them and tell their stories. Uh, mate, I'm so pumped. I, I think you're uh, going to do special things and I'm looking forward to seeing it number one on the uh, on the uh, list that's it mate. manifestation baby that's it uh, thank you Tommy yeah. Bug you're a superstar no worries, mate are you a podcaster maybe you've got that big idea and you're looking for a network to join the multi-award winning Ozcast Network can get your content to eyes and ears all over the world. Join now for the first month free and you could be featuring this sound at the beginning of your podcast. Ozcast. Simply head to ozcastnetwork.com for details.